0: so hello folks and welcome to another episode from the sales chat show saleschatshow.com driving your sales success in the sales chat show studio this morning as usual mr graham jones mr phil jesson and i'm mr simon Hazelby. we're all being mister today very very formal. Um, Today's episode, or should I say this episode, is called Are You Guilty of Using Any of These 5 Sales Excuses for Your Poor Sales Results? Uh how scary is that as a title? Um, As a Sales Manager, as a Sales Director, I I think I've probably heard pretty much every excuse there is in the book for not achieving your sales target. Heard them or used them? Uh, I resemble that remark. Uh, Of course, many salespeople who use these excuses then go on to be sales managers who have to deal with these excuses. And now I was just getting the subtle dig in there about sales targets because we know Mr Jones is not a big fan of sales targets.
1: I think you might yeah. find we've got an episode about that.
0: Have we got an episode <laughs> called Reminders? I can't
1: remember what the title is but it's something like you know sales targets are rubbish. Should, the, you, the, the should, em-
0: should you scrap sales should targets, you scrap sales sales targets? make yeah. sure you go and see that yeah. lively, lively debate. So, so gentlemen let us let us go through some of the excuses that we think we may have heard, let me to kick it off, um, why am I not uh, doing better, boss, it's because, or you just do this to yourself, it's because of my territory, the, the part of the country or the world that I am uh, responsible for, or particularly if I've been given it, it's not my fault it's a difficult part of the world. Have you come across this little gem? I have a friend of mine
1: who was in the uh, oil sector uh, moaned to his boss uh, that his sales territory was uh, not as productive as uh, the, uh, his, his colleagues and his sales territory was the southwest of England. Um, and so his boss said, OK, so what's wrong with your territory then? And he said, oh, you know, there aren't many customers down there. Their friends spoke far and wide and so on. And so he said, uh, so w- what territory has got better sales? He said, well, yeah, southeast of England. So he said, OK, that's fine. So uh, he said, well, we can solve that, can't we, he said the sales director. And so he said, how are we going to solve that? He said, well, I'm looking uh, to get rid of the salesperson for the southeast of England. Yeah, so you now have that territory in addition to the South West.
0: <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Problem Problem, problem solved. solved.
1: And he ended up with twice as much work, twice as much travelling. Didn't quite work. Didn't quite work. I've also
0: had um, the weather. On a territory being used, as in it's it's colder, wetter, more rainy than any other part of the world, or seasonality if it's a coastal. So, you know, I think it's just it just seems to be um, a good a good
2: reason for uh, for trotting out an excuse. And and let's know. Let's not forget the economy either. There are clearly ah, there are yeah. clearly some parts of the country that are economically deprived. And, and or of, not, and of course we are. And
0: I should have said right at the uh, start of the episode, we we are going to draw a difference between a reason, something outside of your control that can genuinely happen to affect something that that can happen, and an excuse. Uh, and a reason is something that is definitely outside of your control and, and has to be taken account of, whereas an excuse is something we, we trot out for sales failure. And Phil, you were mentioning as well, the previous salesperson on the territory is also sometimes used. Oh
2: yes, I've heard that many times where somebody will say, well, the previous person, who of course you got rid of, boss, has scampered around the territory and has visited all of the prospects and basically destroyed the lot of them. So So, no need for me to do any cold calls.
0: And it's a really interesting (laughs) one and and of course we're not denying that different parts of the world etc from time to time will behave differently to others or a part of a country of course. But it's really interesting that when you do like a little bit to Graham's point you change the salesperson. (laughs) Miraculously the territory seems to recover. It's just—it's just an interesting kind of the. What do we change? Nothing except the salesperson, and all of a sudden, a really bad territory has often turned into a really good territory. Yes. So if you're using that as an excuse, folks, you might want to—you might want to challenge yourself. Now, of course, the next one is: it's not my fault; it's the customer. Ah. Oh.
1: Customers. Customers. Difficult
0: customers. Our business
1: yes. would be so much easier if it weren't for customers, mm. is it? frequent excuse isn't it if we didn't have customers my life would be so much easier because they're the ones who cause all the problems
0: or it's not my fault the customer can't see the benefits of our proposal or the customer's business is going
2: backwards and they can't afford it anymore
0: well, again, that could potentially, potentially there's a reason in there sometimes, but also sometimes let's be realistic, it's often just an excuse. And by the way, the business is going backwards, maybe that's even more reason that the customer might want to might want to um, buy the product or, or service. But maybe the problem is, that if the research from CEB is to be be believed, 75% of salespeople think they're doing a really good job of differentiating their company versus the competition. When customers were asked the same question, they believed that only 3% of salespeople were doing a good job of differentiating the competition. So all I'd ask you to think about, folks, is that the customer's fault, or is that the salesperson's fault?
1: It comes back to some research that was done in the States, or I don't know, ten years ago now where they were looking at, you know, do do salespeople really understand their customers and do customers really understand what's on sale, what's being offered to them and the customers really understand what's being offered to them, it's that the salespeople don't understand the customers, so the customers are saying we buy these products and services because of these reasons and the salespeople believe a completely different set of reasons. So what it means is that the, that we might think the customer is saying one thing, but actually we as salespeople don't understand the customer anywhere near enough.
0: I think that that probably accounts for that sort of 3% of customers thinking people are doing a good job. You're clearly just not understanding your customer well enough if you're getting getting that response. You've got to take that responsibility. Customers buy things for their reasons, not yours, so you've got to find out what those reasons are. And I think also um, something to chew on folks, there's no such thing as difficult customers, there's only inflexible salespeople is a quotation that might be something to, to think about. Yeah. Uh, next one would be, of course, the competition. Oh, Every okay. underperforming salesperson that I've ever had the privilege and joy to manage has had tougher competition than anyone else. The, the competitors always do more at a much, much lower price. Your thoughts on the competitor?
2: Well, well that one's true, of course. <laughs> Is this a pet favourite excuse of yours, <laughs> Mr. Jessel? I come across yes. it all the time. I've uh, I have,
0: I've have learned to believe it. It's really interesting. So I do occasionally work with organisations and salespeople. Uh, or should I say salespeople within organisations who seem to be the world's leading expert on why their competitors are far better than they are. I do wonder if they're working for the right companies. <laughs> yeah,
1: they should go and work for the competition, then, shouldn't they? But I
0: mean, you've obviously got to understand your customer uh, Sorry, understand your competitors. Obviously, understand your customers. Understand your competitors. Have a look at their strengths and weaknesses. What are your strengths and weaknesses? But hey, that's why you've got a job, isn't it?
2: Mm. Yeah. I, th- I think also uh, in organisations, competitors are often rubbished, aren't they? Culturally, but uh, I think as a salesperson, we need to. Uh, put a different hat on and learn something from them. What are they doing right maybe that we could copy or what are they doing right that we could do much better than they're doing and what is that little chink in the armour. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're scoring sort of 8 out of 10 in the customer's eyes but that's not 10. What would we need to do to score the 10?
1: We also need to understand and get a proper perception of is it really the customer or is it our perception of the customer, of the competition rather. And so a a hundred years ago when I worked in the music industry that uh, I used to work in Oxford Street just opposite Bond Street Tube and just at South Moulton Street just next door to Bond Street Tube there was a pub on the corner and we would go out of the office maybe at lunchtime to have a sandwich and a pint or whatever at lunchtime and we would walk into the pub and there was this particular summer period where every time we walked into the pub this Michael Jackson song would play and our perception was you know blemming Michael Jackson he's constantly being played people are, and he was in the competition, yes, so he was a very competing against our artists who we were trying to sell, and so he would be we'd walk into the pub and constantly hear Michael Jackson being played, and our perception was that as competition that Michael Jackson was doing better than us, it wasn't that at all. It turned out that the landlord saw people from Polydor Records walking in and just played. a piece of music (laughs) automatically just to annoy us. So it actually wasn't competing with us, our perception was the competition was doing better In reality, they weren't. And I think
0: a lot of salespeople's perceptions, unless you ask the right questions and do some independent research of your own, is very much clouded by what the customer tells you about the competition. And they're probably telling you they're so much better than you in order to get you to to drop your price and give them a discount, which I think is the next one, is to say, it's not my fault, boss, we're too expensive. Our our pricing is wrong. Is this, is, this a, a valid, is this a reason
2: or is this an excuse for us? I think, uh, For me I think it's an excuse and in uh, a previous episode we've covered this whole issue of return on investment uh, and if the return on investment is um, a good one and can be proven then clearly it uh, pales price into insignificance. Price is often an issue when there is no in-house compelling argument around value. Yeah, and that, that probably goes
0: back to how good are you at understanding your customers' needs? Are you understanding how the customer measures value, what your company value propositions and your individual one for customers looks like? Of course something's going to look expensive if somebody doesn't perceive the value they're receiving in back in return for it but yeah and we're not saying price isn't a factor in, in buying decisions of course it's a factor but it's very rarely and i've had this from procurement buyers who say you know off the record it's very rarely just about price of course it's going to be a key factor but it's very rarely the only factor but it's mm. a beautifully prepackaged excuse to to say we were just we were just more expensive that's the in,
1: in studies of price setting that when you look at companies who are about to launch a new product and you ask everybody within the business how much would customers be willing to pay and they determine their price for their new product or service, whatever it is, that that's based on their view of the value that the customer is going to get out of it. And let's say they set the price to £100, whatever it is, when you actually do the study and go out and ask customers, independently of the the business, and ask customers, if somebody invented this product, how much would you be prepared to pay for it? Invariably that price is almost double what the companies are saying, what they would, would, would be setting. So actually we set the value internally much lower than our customers ever will. It's mm. an
0: interesting, interesting honour. We'll, uh, we're definitely going to do some more episodes I think around the psychology of pricing. Maybe a good idea to get a couple of our uh, price expert yep. colleagues and come along and get them get them interviewed. If uh, we can afford their price. If we can yeah. afford their price. Uh, and the final one I think is, it's, it's not my fault, it's, and then you insert the name of whichever the department or departments the excuses is on. You mean those
2: buggers in production?
0: Oh,
1: it's the production, yeah. supply no. chain. It's Marketing. Their website is rubbish. No, no, no. Marketing
2: don't provide me with the it's, sales collateral. My experience is that finance are always putting. No, 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 um, no. It's not finance. It's those, the order
1: department. Yeah, the, the database is rubbish.
0: Yeah. It's definitely finance. The sales prevention department do insist upon no, us no, making a profit
1: margin. No, that, you know. That's the legal department. <laughs>
2: So, should we have a look at a few uh, <laughs> solutions that uh, our oh. listeners might be interested in to uh, deal with these? Uh
0: well, I think we've, we've had a
2: previous episode we've certainly
0: called um, selling a team sport. So you will often in many, particularly in B2B, you know, multi-stakeholder environments, you can have more colleagues involved in the sales process. So take responsibility for for those. There, there is a model, sort of three concentric circles that we can probably start to use in closing. There's things you can control in the inner circle of a three yeah. concentric model. Those you should be on top of. Then there's things you can influence. And I think a lot of salespeople think I can't influence finance I can't influence the customer's perception of value yes you can influence is your job that's what you're that's what you're paid to do and finally there are things that probably fall into the reasons categories things you can't control you can't influence you can't you can't control the weather you can't control certain certain factors but don't Give away your power, focus on what you can control, can get on top of, and you can absolutely influence. And I think all of these five are the reason our people listening to this have a job. Because if there weren't these challenges out there in the marketplace in the world, there would be no need for the, for the sales
2: people. Yeah. So other thoughts on solutions, guys? Uh, I think it is um, largely one of attitude, as you suggested through uh, that model. Um, I can always remember that lovely quote from years ago, the 10 most important two-letter words of all time. If it is to be, it is up to me. And I think that comes into this issue big time. It's about how we are thinking, and when you have that sort of positive mindset, uh, these all sort of pale into insignificance, really, don't they? And there is there is the concept as well. I think of uh, a
0: psychological concept of sort of learned helplessness. Sometimes, as we learn to feel helpless about certain certain things, you oh, know, marketing haven't done this, therefore I can't I can't do this that's not marketing's job to do sales proposals, it's a sales job to do sales proposals. So, so, you know, gotta take take responsibility. Any other closing thoughts, gentlemen?
2: No, other than uh, some of the the lovely quotes that uh, appear on the sales chat show website that uh, Graham churns out on a regular basis. Uh, We have included one on there somewhere that's along the lines of uh, obstacles like these uh, are only things that you see when you take your mind off the outcome and the goal that you have in mind. So we won't use the word target because no, Ra doesn't like no, target no, no, but no. it does tend to bring back into play once again well what is the outcome that we're trying to achieve and focus on that as opposed to the obstacles real or imagined? that we might encounter along the way. Interestingly I was um, down in Sao Paulo
0: in Brazil Uh, several years ago. You were name dropping again. Of course. I I was in Halifax
2: last Tuesday. Wait
0: wait for this, wait for this (laughs) name drop. Get a bell. And and a leader was speaking, a part of a leadership program, a leader from an organization that I was working with, um, a multi-billionaire, check this guy out, very wealthy individual, and he said obstacles, his words to these people were, obstacles are the steps we need to climb on in order to achieve our goal. That's an interesting insight into how a very, very fine financially successful business person, regarded obstacles as steps that you step on in order to achieve your goal. And a closing thought from me, uh, you can have results or excuses, you can't have both. So thanks very much, folks. Simon Hazeldean, Graham Jones, Phil Jessen from the Sales Chat Show. Uh, 140, maybe even 150 plus episodes now on the saleschatshow.com website or also you can access all the episodes of the sales chat show from wherever you get or subscribe to your podcast so please subscribe to the sales chat show and every week a new episode will be there for you to listen to. Sales chat show helping you to drive your sales forward. We would just like to wish you good luck and good selling folks.